0: I think it's important to give people, to respect listeners enough to give them a place to find their way through your song. You don't want to just start dictating things and tell, telling people how they ought to feel or what they ought to do or what they ought to know. It's better to craft songs so that people can listen to them and find, if there's a place for them in it, they'll find it. And if it's not their cup of song,
1: that's okay too. Welcome to Intersections, where we take you to the crossroads of ideas. Exploring the knowledge and beliefs that lead to human flourishing through the lives and stories of influential voices. Many songwriters use music to express their deepest beliefs and values. From ballads to self-disclosure, good songwriters have the ability to draw listeners into their stories and feelings through music, metaphors, and poetry. For over 40 years, Bob Bennett has been writing, singing, and performing songs that capture the power of family, relationships, and spirituality. His intricate guitar work combines with a voice that draws from his own life experiences, both positive and deeply challenging. His music navigates the sorrows and joys of life with faith and hope without skirting the difficulties of seeing life as it really is and can be. Bob Bennett, welcome to Intersections. Well, thank you very much, Seth. I appreciate being with you. Um, Tell us about the first song you've ever written. What was that song like?
0: Well, this was a a rather unimpressive, maybe impressive for like a 10-year-old, but in the rearview mirror, not overly impressive. I was hugely influenced by folk music, pre-Beatles folk music. And I was a huge Kingston Trio fan. And every once in a while, the Kingston Trio would put like a patriotic song on their albums. Well, I decided to go and do that likewise and my little 10-year-old self I wrote a patriotic song, uh, a la kind of what John Stewart might have written, uh, <laughs> called Echoes of Freedom. Yeah. And that was, my mom helped me a little bit. She was an uncredited un, uh, co-author, <laughs> but uh, that was the first song I ever, now, I was the kind of kid that when I walked to school, even before I started playing guitar, I made up songs and sang to myself all the way to school and back, so... I was already uh, without un- without understanding what I was doing. I was already being drawn into
1: creativity and writing and so forth. Wonderful. So, what was how old were you when that when that first when you wrote that first song? It was uh, d- about ten years old. Ten years old. Wow, wow. And um, yeah, talk a little bit about how you got that became interested in in songwriting.
0: Well, I mean, you know, initially I'm camped out next to the family turntable. I'm listening to all this music. And I'm, you know, a little husky Bobby Bennett from Downey, California, bedroom aerospace community back in the late 50s, early 60s. And this music was kind of my window into the larger world. And when you're a kid, at least back then, grown-ups appeared to have all the, they could do whatever they wanted. They were grown-ups. And so that was my window into the grown-up world, was listening to all these songs. So... You know, when the Beatles came along, that was so seismic. And then everybody started writing their own songs. So eventually, you, you look from like about the mid-60s, maybe starting with Dylan and Phil Oakes and different people like that. Um, Gordon Lightfoot, you've got people writing their own songs. And then the songs are the underpinning of their artistry. And I, I was very much drawn to those people, still am to this day.
1: I see. Uh, and then, so did you get take guitar lessons or you taught yourself?
0: My older brother, Michael, is eight years older than I am, and he started playing guitar. And then uh, my parents went down to Tijuana and got me a little scaled-down guitar. I may, I may mispronounce this for the Spanish speakers in the audience, but uh, they called it a, a riquinta guitar, a little smaller scale size guitar. And so they brought this guitar home, and my brother started teaching me chords. And as soon as it started to sound like music, that was it for me. I was I was off to the races. Wow!
1: Um, And then, did you study music in college or no?
0: I didn't. I mean, I tried, and and uh, you know the old joke of how do you make a guitar player quiet down? Answer: Put a chart in front of them. I'm kind of that guy. I, I don't really read very well at church a little bit. I can sight read a little bit when we're in the hymnal and so forth. But but I I'm I'm not I'm not really very well schooled in a conventional music sense. I was more of the Listening, copying by ear, kind of guy.
1: Yeah, got it. Yeah, and a lot of those folk musicians probably like that as well. The tradition that you. Yes.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, some of them had training that they they might have kept uh, you know on the down low, <laughs> but most of these people came by music naturally in their youth, just like I did.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. And I've noticed um many of your songs chronicle different seasons in your life that you've gone through. Can you talk a little bit about that, how your music sort of expresses what's going on in your personal life?
0: Well, I mean, in its most unflattering light, it could be considered to be kind of self-centered, like a little bit of navel gazing with a guitar in your hand. But on the other hand, I think that initially I was drawn to songs and to people who were telling their own stories. Or, or, or even if they weren't their stories, just the way that they would craft a fictional song said something about who they are and how their mind works, how their heart works, okay. and um, so I just started to, you know, write about the things that was were happening to me, and uh, you know, the hope is that when people hear something, um, that they they might it might remind them of their own story, even if their story doesn't parallel mine. Maybe the song would remind them that they've got stories of their own to tell. And I think uh, across the board, uh, it's still the coin of the realm to be a storyteller in our culture. Thank goodness, because even though I'm way out of fashion and I've committed the cardinal sin of the boomer generation, I got old. um, I'm not the current thing anymore, but people are still drawn to stories. And as long as I can find a few of those people in a room and they don't throw stuff at me, then I go play,
1: (laughs) Could you do a song that that encapsulates a story uh, from your life? You share a little bit about the background of the song? Yeah. yeah. This is a song
0: about my brief but infamous career in Little League Baseball. When I was young, I might have been 10 or 11 even, I went out for Little League Baseball. Now, I'm horrible at sports. I was then. I am to this day rotten at it. But I wanted to play baseball. And um, even though I could hardly uh, do anything, and I spent a lot of time warming the bench, my dad showed up to all of my Little League games that year. And um, so I I wrote a song about him. Knowing um, where this would intersect uh, matters of faith, um, a parable is defined as an earthly story that also tells a heavenly story at the same time. So I coyly titled this a song about baseball, hoping that uh, people would perhaps hear it with a little more
2: of that in mind. Saturdays on the baseball field and be afraid of the ball. Just another kid on camera day. And the Angels still played in LA. I was smile. caps and bubble gum. I think there's a hole in my glove. Three and two, life and death. I was swinging with eyes closed, holding my breath. I was dying. On my Father would find me and call out my name A soft drink, a snow cone, a candy bar A limousine ride in the family car
0: wrote that in uh, 1980 or so um i was uh we had a real scare in, in losing my father and um and i i thought this is the guy who came to all my little league games and that gave birth to the song and a really sweet thing happened because uh shortly after i wrote it i uh my dad and i were alone in a room and i sang the song without crying but he didn't quite make it, and uh, it was a real sweet memory to have.
1: Uh, so they were very supportive of your songwriting uh, career. Yes, and they
0: they encouraged my music. I was that, you know, I my my first gigs were in the living room. You know, we'd have company over. Bobby, go get your guitar. You know, <laughs> um, perhaps the most poignant, I had had albums out and everything. But the most poignant moment came when I called my folks and told them that Glenn Campbell had covered one of my songs, and that that sounded like actual employment at that point to them, so it was <laughs> it was pretty pretty great,
1: so a lot of your songs deal with the issue of beliefs. You talk a little bit about how your songwriting um, kind of connects with your beliefs that you have
0: well i mean i I sort of initially you know i I was writing all of the Tortured, unrequited love songs and things like that. You know, I was imitating all the people I was listening to. Some, some of the greats, but uh, imitating that kind of music. Um, in 1977, um, it was kind of a fluke thing. I, I, out of curiosity, I was reading a modern translation of the New Testament. I didn't, I had messed around with that stuff for years. I mean, I once they didn't make me go to church, I didn't go. And uh, but I picked up a modern New Testament and I started to read it and I came to faith as a result of, of that reading. And um, so I started to put my my sort of my new adventures in the faith and uh, into music. And it was it was um, a very natural thing to do because at the time, um, th- th- this was sort of at the tail end, but still in the echoes of the era that's portrayed in the Jesus Revolution movie. I mean, um, uh, sort of Woodstock meets the gospel was kind of the still the happening thing. And um, so the fact that I could write songs like this and have people who want to hear them when I'm singing about these things was just a real natural part of the
1: deal. What was it that made you embrace the Christian faith when you were reading, as you mentioned, you were reading the New Testament. Had you had you read it before you mentioned you grew up in a going to church at home and and then you kind of left it and what was it about it that kind of drew you back?
0: for me it was um I began to realize that all of and this is you know when you're 22 years old you think you know a whole lot more than you know and you're sure about a lot more than you really should be but I um I read the New Testament. And I said, my problem is not with Jesus. It's with all these wackadoo people that he insists on hanging around with. There's your issue. It's not Jesus. It's it's church folks. Mm-hmm. And so once I, once I was, a, that perhaps was not the most charitable distinction, but once that was a distinction that I could make, um, then as I'm beginning to read through the Gospels, it's like I need to kind of be all in on this stuff. And, um, you know, uh, T-Bone Burnett uh, had an interview many years ago, and it was a gospel music publication that was interviewing him. He's a famous record producer and musician and writes for movies and is very well. Look him up on IMDb. You'll find him all over the place. And somebody asked him, what is your ministry? That's in the parlance how we talk about these things sometimes. And he said, my ministry is to make doubters out of unbelievers, And I've never forgotten what a great sentence that is, because, you know, when you're talking about areas of belief, you got to give people room to maneuver. And um, before they're going to sign on the dotted line of anything, whatever has kept them at arm's length needs to kind of, they need to kind of reassess some of those things. There need to be, maybe needs to be a little head scratching going on. And uh, sometimes we're in such a hurry in our instantaneous culture that we want instantaneous results, and that's not how the world works, and that's not how matters of faith and belief work either. Mm. For some, there's a dramatic uh, about face, and with other people, it takes a little time to get
1: there. Mm. And so, for you, it took you some time to, to land. It, there? it
0: took me. It took me a little time, but it, it's kind of like. Um, this is a, a an odd analogy, but you know how when you buy a particular model of car and all of a sudden you see them all over the road all because now you have one? When I was starting to read the Bible, all, everything came out of the woodwork about church and Jesus and religion. And everywhere I turned, there were these encouraging signs that were a little too frequent to be coincidental in my mind, and uh, that, was, that was the uh, underpinning of uh, the context of a lot of what was going on.
1: Hmm. Is there a song that you wrote that, that encapsulates that period in your life? Are you coming to faith that, uh, that we could play?
0: Um, you know, there's a song on my first album that that I think I, I picked up this book, this really obscure little book by a Jewish-British actor named David Kossov. And David had written a volume called The Book of Witnesses, and what he had done is he had taken different stories throughout the Gospels and wrote dramatic monologues, as if the characters were, were giving a monologue. Hmm. But he not only took the people that were specifically mentioned in the Gospels, but he also took people that were implied. You know, the wife of one of the thieves on the cross, an anonymous Roman soldier, and hmm. um, and so I began in my imagination, I thought, what if I had been in that time and hearing this itinerant rabbi say all of these provocative things in the hearing of some and hopeful things in the in the hearing of others, what would my reaction to him be? And I wrote a song called Carpenter Gone Bad, question mark. there is a, a thing that you may be familiar with, and it's it's not an airtight thing, but I think it's close that when you're considering the claims of Christ, there's three main logical sort of possibilities, that he's either nefarious and a liar and ill intent and meant to sort of scam everybody. That's one option. He didn't know he wasn't God, the son and son of God. He would just, you know, just wasn't quite all there and isn't that a shame or he just might've been telling the truth. And um, so I worked a little bit of that into the song. And and so even though it's not directly my story, my imagination was, what do I make of this, you know, Yeshua, if I encounter him under those
2: circumstances? There's a man down in the street Says he's the Messiah Telling people And I.
1: sections, and we're here with Bob Bennett, a singer-songwriter, discussing his music. Um, who have been some influential songwriters in your life?
0: Well, in one sense, there's there are very much the usual suspects that you would expect from a guy my age. Uh, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Gordon Lightfoot, Stephen Bishop, um, Mac McAnally, um, you know, people that I just, I pay attention, Bruce Coburn, huge influence. Um, He he just put out a new album That guy is like the Energizer bunny He just keeps going Hmm. Um, Then I I, I Met up with some fellow travelers That have been a real influence uh, David Wilcox uh, Pierce Pettis uh, Kate Rusby over in the UK I don't know all these folks but I pay real close attention To what they do And Before I'm ever a music maker I'm still that kid Parked next to the family record player I'm a grateful listener. When I hear a great song, I'm just a happy guy. Mm. You know, I I, um, I still enjoy music as much as I uh, hearing it as much as I do playing it.
1: Mm. For for anyone who is maybe an aspiring songwriter themselves, um, what what do you think is critically important for any kind of songwriter?
0: Well, I subscribe to what I call the bank teller method of learning songwriting. Um, It it is said that if you train as a bank teller, they don't school you in counterfeit money. What they do is they have you handle real currency so much that when the uh, fate comes along through your hands, you know it. And I think it's the same way. Um, You want to expose yourself to great songwriting, great theater, great books, great movies, whatever you can do now, now sometimes you have a guilty pleasure. It's like, yeah, I saw on a house for the 15th time. You know, it's not all artsy, you know, under glass uh, type of stuff, but um, it's my experience that when I'm around people who are working at a certain level, it just inspires me whether they're doing songwriting or not, it just makes me want to do better. Hmm. Um, so you know, when when Paul Simon puts out a I haven't even heard it yet, but he puts out a thirty-minute piece based on the Psalms, and he's still doing doing this at like eighty-plus years old. It's like I want to be like him when I grow up.
1: You know? Yeah. Paul Simon just did a, a song about the Psalms.
0: He did. He has. It's a and I haven't even heard it yet. I'm waiting to listen to it with my wife. Um, It's a 30-minute piece. It's released as one 30-minute track. It's been it's been uh, designed to listen to continuously all the way through, as one piece. And it was I may have this not precisely right, but it was apparently the result of a dream that he had, wherein he somehow was imparted information that you're going to write a project on the Psalms. And this dream that he had. Evidently, was persistent enough that he finally just hauled off and did it.
1: Wow, interesting. Huh. And and for you, I know some of your songs. You 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 drive um, draw out of scripture. Um, is there a song that we could play that um, that has been a particularly meaningful song for you that directly comes out of a story in in the Bible?
0: Well, um, I, I do have a song uh, called "Come and See" that I co wrote with a friend of mine many years ago. And um, the story behind this is that my friend and I were taking a songwriting class in Los Angeles from a fellow named Al Kasha. And Al Kasha uh, passed on now, but a very famous songwriter and a a dear man. And he had a bunch of church people gathered in his living room. And he said, I want you to go home and write a song based on anything you can find in the Gospel of John and bring it to class in a couple of weeks. So my buddy Michael and I, Waited until the night before the assignment was due, opened up the Gospel of John, and found our story. Um, come and see concerns Philip and Nathaniel. Philip says to Nathaniel, We've found the Messiah. We know his name. We know where he is. His name is Jesus. He comes from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, apparently being the smart aleck that I can identify with, says, Can anything good come out of that town? And, um, and Philip's response is, Come and see. And I think if you're a person of of faith and you have any desire to share what you know and what you care about, there's always a huge come and see for yourself attached to that. And uh, so that's the song, Come and See.
2: I will show you my
1: Look at your songs, like like "Come and See" or other songs. You do you see any common themes or issues that you explore? That are common themes in your music over the many years you've been doing uh, songwriting. Well, yes.
0: I mean, obviously, not not every song that I write is is a Christian song or a gospel song. I I sort of believe that that you have the broadest, if you're a church person and you are a creative person, I think you have the broadest mandate as as opposed to the narrowest. So the song that I write about going to the laundromat might not be sung at Offitory, but that song needs to be written, and I'd be happy to do it. Um, So I I write about a variety of things. Um, I think it's important to give people to respect listeners enough to give them a place to find their way through your song. You don't want to just start dictating things and tell, telling people how they ought to feel or what they ought to do or what they ought to know. It's better to craft songs so that people can listen to them and find, if there's a place for them in it, they'll find it. And if it's not their cup of song, that's okay too. I mean, you know, you're not going to like everything that comes through your earbuds. Um, But I, and I, I, I had somebody ask me this the other day. Why do you do what you do? And or what do you hope happens? And I think for me, I hope that the aggregate of my music makes people feel a little less alone than we're prone to feel. Um, even when we're surrounded by other people, we're, we're sometimes prone to feel isolated, feel like I'm the only one, like I'm the odd man out. I'm the guy with pretender syndrome, whatever. And um, as those great theologians, the Firesign Theater put it, they had a comedy album years ago called We're All Bozos on This Bus. And that's very much a kind of an underpinning of, of how I approach my work and my audiences. We are I, in, in a way that I hope is not too flowery, doesn't have too much of a 60s contact, high attached. Uh, we really are in this all together. And I try to I try to respect that very much.
1: Is there a song that we could listen to that really targets that particular idea?
0: Um well, I'll tell you one that I think might be kind of fun in that direction is a song called Joy Deepest Sorrow. Mm. And Joy Deepest Sorrow is my um my attempt to acknowledge that we're not all in our places with sunshiny faces. And um, Christians believe for a variety of reasons, and even even people who are quite irreligious, I think, would agree on this. The world is not as good and nice a place sometimes as we wish it was. Things appear to be, and of course, uh, you know, you get a little bit older, and it's like it's going to hell in a handbasket. You kids, get off my lawn, you know. It's a that's that's a feature of this, but but just in general, uh, you know, people know that that we're not really where we should be. And the gospel tells us that there's a there's a real reason for that. We live life under combat conditions, and my my question in the song is, um, is there a joy deep as sorrow? We all know what it feels like to sing the blues, but is there a joy that is as potent and and powerful and and um, you know uh, that that, that kind of comes chasing after us in the same way that trouble does? And so that's, the, that's the, the question, is there a joy deep sorrow?
2: I want good to come after me, half as relentlessly as trouble does, like a curse. I want health to protect me, invade and infect me like disease does, but in reverse. I want sweetness and light to keep me up all night Happy hours passing without sleep As sharp as a knife, I want love in this life To cut me fast, cut me deep I'd like to see good fortune, hit a target on my back I want laughter to stay, just surprise attack One fine day, maybe two or three in a row Blessings lined up, waiting to become the status quo unfaithful, but I really want to know, is there a joy deep as sorrow Needle stage or accountable age. We're all hell-bent in heart and mind. We used to call it sin, but now we're not so sure. Seems what everybody's got, then there's no need for a cure for one fine day. i don't
1: want to be unfaithful but i really want to know is there a joy deep as have you experienced a time in your life where you've had a, a joy as deep as sorrow deep in, in your own walk of in your faith
2: um
0: i yes i i mean i they have a tendency I, i'm kind of my wife is Nick, nicknamed me thomas eeyore which is a uh, for both Doubting Thomas and Eeyore in the Pooh stories. So, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my times of deep and uh, joy uh, seemed as though they're kind of interruptions of a messy life, welcome interruptions, but it's not as constant as I, I wish it was. But yes, obviously, you know, when you're holding your children in your hands or you're uh, able to you know, have a romantic dinner with your wife, or uh, you know, there's there's different different wonderful things that cross your path. Um, I have a, a little song about that called "Small Graces," where I talk about the fact that it, that some of the smallest, most inconsequential things are the wonderful markers along the road that let us know that what we see is not all there is and um, so I, I just I try to keep an eye out for those whenever I can
2: <laughs> Sometimes they slip by without notice Sometimes they're very hard to see Other times it's also clear when they're happening to me Bright penny on the sidewalk can't buy nothing by itself, but when I hold it in my hand, it's a tiny piece of priceless wealth. These are the small graces, the little moments when the miracles come, these are the small graces. All is leading me to the larger ones. A smile that is not automatic, that lingers on a little more. The time it takes to count my change The time it takes to close the drawer These are the small graces The little moments when the miracle's come These are the small graces Small graces leading me to the larger one All graces surely have a meaning beyond their really passing by. They are a reminder to the heart there's more to life than meets the eye. More to life than meets the eye. Oh. unexpected Shared by strangers on the run But when the sky is clouded over still the promise of the sun It's in the small graces Little moments when the miracles come These are the small graces Small graces pointing me to the larger ones Small graces Little glimpses of the kingdom come from unexpected places These are the small graces
1: listening to intersections we're talking with bob bennett who's a singer and songwriter um i know one of your albums that that really meant a lot to me uh many years ago was songs from bright avenue Um, i think you were going through a difficult difficult time could you talk a little bit about that the time you were going through in your life and and how those songs came out of that particular period in your life
0: yeah, I, I uh, in, in overly dramatic fashion, uh, I tell people there was a little little bit of blood on the floor when I wrote and recorded those songs. I wasn't wasn't really through uh, anything at that time. I was in the middle of a. I mean, this is kind of almost redundant. Say a horrible divorce. They're usually all horrible. Um, but I wanted to write some songs about what was happening, and and I. I even though I benefit very much from a, a pastoral counselor who had a very good therapeutic background as well, um, I still say that I must have saved myself thousands of dollars in therapy by being able to write some of these songs. And um, so, you know, uh, uh, Henri Nguyen has a, a title of one of his books called The Wounded Healer. And I think that um, a lot of people, that is their story. Um, no one likes to have trouble no one wants to have adversity if we could unring the bell on all this stuff we would but if we're going to bear up under these wounds and have these difficulties and failures um, you know it's it's a good day at the office if we can put ourselves at the service of other people who are going through the same things Mm -hmm. and uh, so Songs from Bright Avenue was my uh, dispatch from the front I
2: did not want to be My name is on the mailbox, and my key fits in the door. Living in this present tense is the best that I can do. It's clear that I am supposed to be here
1: on Bright Avenue. How did in that period of time where you were going through that divorce, how did did you work through that with your faith? Um, so that was a very difficult time, and and what was that like? Did it challenge your faith commitment, or what was that like?
0: Yeah, I mean i i i um i definitely i definitely was at the oh Lord just strike me dead phase of my life, you know. Um, in fact, it would you know my this is not a a perfectly accurate statement, but my trouble was not feeling rotten about myself and having some self recrimination and some proper shame. My feeling was it was tough for me to even see any grace anywhere. Um, Perhaps the most audacious thought that crossed my mind is that God still loves me and my faith still means something. And I'm supposed to carry on, even though I'm broken in a million pieces. Mm. Um, so I, I, my faith was challenged, and yet I, I felt as though, you know, once you've been through that and come out the other side, I mean, you know, I have a—forgive um, me for quoting myself yet again here—but I have a song uh, that I wrote uh, called Lord of the Past, and basically what it says, uh, it makes reference to the fact that we talk an awful lot about forgiveness and new beginnings and grace and so forth. But we also live in a world where, where the new Testament says that when things are sown, they will invariably be reaped, which means that consequences can be very pervasive. And so if you do something to somebody else or somebody does something to you, or you go through a horrible situation, you may have grace aplenty. The slate may be wiped clean in, in a sort of eternal legal sense, and yet you're still staring at the ceiling and bearing some of the same sorrows and wounds over this. My contention is that is territory that you can cede to the Lordship of Christ. Um, all the messy stuff that we don't want to talk about in polite company, that's part of what we of, of the parts of our lives that we turn over to Him. It doesn't mean it all goes away. It doesn't mean that it's always upward and onward. It's It's a lot of One step forward and two steps back. It's a lot of wandering off the path and finding your way back.
2: Every harsh word spoken. Every promise ever broken to me. Total recall of data in the memory. Every tear that has washed my Every moment of disgrace that I have known Every time I've ever felt alone Lord of the here and now Lord of the come what may I want to believe somehow That you can heal these wounds of yesterday So now I'm asking you to do what you want to do. Be the Lord of the past. Oh, how I want you to be the Lord of the past. All the chances I let slip by. All the dreams that I let die in vain. Afraid of failure and afraid of pain. Every tear that has washed my face. Every moment of disgrace that I have known. Every time I've ever felt alone. Lord of the here and now. Lord of the coming. Want to believe somehow you can redeem these things so far away. So now I'm asking you to do what you want to do, be the Lord of my past. Oh, how I want you to be the Lord of the past. Well, I picked up all these pieces. And I built a strong deception, and I locked myself inside of it for my own protection. And I sit alone inside myself and curse my company. For this thing that has kept me alive for so long is now killing me. And as sure as the sin, This morning The man in the moon hides his face tonight And I lay myself down on my bed And I pray this prayer inside my head Lord of the here and now Lord of the come what may Oh I, I want to believe somehow That you can heal these wounds of yesterday day. So now I'm asking you to do what you want to do. Be the Lord of my past. You can do anything. Be the Lord of the
1: past. Oh, be the Lord, be the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite of your songs, and I'd like you to, if you could talk about it a little bit, it's the song, Singing for My Life. It seemed very, um, I remember listening to it years ago, very autobiographical. You're sort of sharing your heart about being a singer and a songwriter and all the kind of tensions with that and motivations. And could you talk a little bit about that
0: song? Yes. I. I uh, the first line of the song is, I don't think I'm supposed to tell you just how much this means to me. And the reason that I I, I said that line is that especially in religious circles, Um, As long as we couch things in, oh, I'm just a servant, and I'm just a humble guy, and I really want. But the fact is, there's always an ego involved. Uh, Whenever you get up to do something, there's a part of you that says, hey, look at me, I want to do this. And I want you to like what I do, and I want you to like me. Um, So I try to tell young artists, don't don't, uh, deny that part of who you are. Just make sure the tail's not wagging the dog. You have a good night and a concert and everybody thinks you're wonderful. Go home, take out the trash. Get some perspective, you know. Um, but it's it's really been my honor to do this. I I I have often said I I the, the guy who stands up and plays for an hour and a half, I like that guy. I want to be that guy all the time. I just have to deal with the other 22 and a half hours of the day when I'm not. You know, when things are a little more complicated, a little less predictable than they are <laughs> when I'm doing my work.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's what I really like about the song. It sort of shows the that we all can have mixed motives, and and then whatever we do. And um, and I, I like the way your song articulates that.
2: I don't think I'm supposed to tell you just how much this means to me, and how I can't uncross the lines. This thing I do and the man I'm supposed to be There's a question in the back of my mind Who knows what is really true I sing these songs and you listen to me But who's doing the favor for who I am singing for my life So
1: You're listening to Intersections, and we're, we're talking with Bob Bennett, who's a singer-songwriter. What was the most interesting place you have performed, Bob?
0: I have a song about the Gadarene demoniac called Man of the Tombs, and I had a chance to stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee a couple times and sing that song right in the place where it happened.
1: Let's listen to your song called Man of the Tombs about a man who is demon-possessed, who Jesus confronts and casts out the demon
2: man of the tombs He lives in a place where no one goes And he tears at himself And lives with a pain that no one knows He counts himself dead among the living He knows no mercy and no forgiving Deep in the night he's driven to cry out loud Can you hear him cry out loud Man of the tombs Possessed by an unseen enemy Breaks every chain And mistakes his freedom For being free Shame and shamelessness Equally there Like a random toss of a coin In the air Man of the tombs He's driven to cry out loud Underneath this thing And blood. I curse the womb, I bless the grave. I've lost my heart, I cannot be saved. Like those who fear me, I'm afraid. Like those I've heard, I can feel pain. Naked now before my sin, and these stones that cut against my skin. Some try to touch me, but no one can The man of the tombs I am Down at the shoreline Two sets of footprints meet One voice is screaming Other voice begins to speak In only a moment and only a word The evil departs like a thundering herd Man of the tombs, he hears this cry out loud Underneath this thing that you've become I see a man of flesh and blood I give you life beyond the grave I heal your heart, I come to save No need to fear, be not afraid This man of sorrows knows your pain I come to take away your sin And bear its marks upon my skin When no one can touch you, still I Son of God, I am.
1: Well, any any final song you want to play for us uh, today?
0: Well, um, you know, I I do have a song that I often um, play toward the end of my concerts. Uh, called Altar in the Field. And um, uh, gratitude is not my strong suit. I have to remind myself that it's a good thing to be grateful. Um, And fortunately, I've got good company, because apparently in the Old Testament, as the nation of Israel was wandering around in the wilderness, um, God would intervene And they would sometimes forget what had happened. Their attention span could be pretty short. So in a couple instances, they built a physical monument where God had intervened so that when they came back upon that area, that monument would remind them what God had done. And um, I, I can't build anything, but I do build songs. And so I built this little song to sort of scatter around and um, it's the the notion that um, that we are to remember, and the admonition to remember who God is and what He's done is not because He has some sort of divine ego problem and He needs the attention. Um, in, in the faith that I know and understand, it does us good to remember these things. And uh, so, uh, altar in the field would be my uh, my benediction for today's
2: visit. I build an altar in the field. So I'll remember.
1: Back to this time when it's already. Bob, thank you so much for being on Intersections today.
0: Thank you, Seth. Great conversation. I hope you'll uh I hope you'll have occasion to have me back again if I put out something new or whatever. It's just been great to talk to you.
1: Bob Bennett is a singer-songwriter who has been writing music for over 40 years. His music can be found and downloaded at BobBennett.com. That's BobB-E-N-N-E-T.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Intersections. Intersections is produced in association with KSQD 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz, California. To subscribe to the podcast, click follow in your Apple, Google, or Spotify podcast app and make sure to leave a review. All archived podcasts and information about our guests can be found on our website, intersectionspodcast.org. On our website, you can sign up for our free At the Intersections newsletter and listen to Faith Matters conversations featuring panels of spiritual leaders discussing how their faith traditions speak to a variety of topics. You can contact Intersections by emailing info at intersectionspodcast.org. I'm Seth Shapiro, and join us on our next episode where we will continue exploring the Crossroads of Ideas on Intersections.